0: Welcome to EdView 360. We rarely acknowledge the sounds of our language in general education classrooms. We were great at talking about the print and syllable types and teaching kids about that decoding piece, but we'd left out the phonology. Setting up sound walls has to do with the 44 speech sounds of the language, not just the 26 letters of the alphabet teaching them about the 44 speech sounds, of the language, it's like teaching the multiplication tables. We know we have this area in our brain. We wanna build those neural networks. The more rapidly we can build those networks, the more rapidly students can begin reading independently.
1: You just heard Dr. Mary Dahlgren President of Tools for Reading an author of KidLips and Phoneme Grapheme Instructional Cards for Elementary, Special Education, and English Language Learner Teachers. Dr. Dahlgren is a National Letters Trainer and our guest today on EdView 360. Here's your host, Pam Austin. This is Pam Austin. Welcome back to the EdView 360 podcast series. We are so excited to have you back with us. I'm conducting today's podcast from my native New Orleans, channeling the heart of Voyager Socrates Learning in Dallas, Texas. Today, we are honored to have with us Dr. Mary Dahlgren, president of Tools for Reading, author of Kids' Lips, National Letters Training, and Soundwall Expert. Welcome, Dr. Dahlgren. Thank you for joining us today. We're so pleased to have you with us. You have quite a distinguished career in education. Tell us a little bit about about how you started? Hi, Pam. Thank you so much
0: for inviting me to join you for this podcast. And um, yes, I I started my career in education about 37 years ago, first as a sixth grade teacher working in a small rural district in Oklahoma. And I was so shocked my first year of teaching that I had sixth grade students who truly could not decode words. And uh, the reality was I didn't know how to teach them. So I began searching for answers and I went through a training that was an Orton Gillingham based training uh, out of the Scottish Rite Hospital in Dallas. And then I studied a lot of Louisa's work, which was just really kind of providential because I read that Louisa had classes at Greenwood Institute in Putney, Vermont. And in 1998, I went to Putney, Vermont and studied with her at the Greenwood institutes and, um, That's when I first began to truly understand, in spite of the fact that I'd had Orton-Gillingham training, but there was this deeper layer to language and understanding the phonology of language, which is what really took me into um, my study of sound walls and, of course, becoming a letters trainer, which... That happened 16 years ago. So it's it's been a it's been quite a journey from the beginning with sixth grade students who didn't know how to read to actually getting to the point where now I'm teaching teachers how to teach kids to read. And it's so gratifying because they I I never want a teacher to feel the way I felt that first year.
1: Well, you've talked about that deep layer of, of language, right? That's- and and i oral language that kind of probably leads into our next question uh-huh. how do you become focused on sound walls and for educators who may not know what a sound wall is, please give us a quick definition. Okay, so a sound wall
0: is, it's about the the phonology of our language and a sound wall is built around the 44 speech sounds of the English language. And a sound wall is set up around those speech sounds, our consonant sounds and our vowel sounds. So those are things that educators frequently have not considered. They certainly haven't uh, been taught taught that information in um, undergraduate trainings. And as I said, even in my Orton-Gillingham training years ago, we didn't speak, we didn't talk in depth about this layer of phenology. We were great at talking about the print and syllable types and and teaching kids about that decoding piece but we'd left we'd left out the the phonology and that's where sound walls really play a role it's not just about the print it's about the sound comes first we're we're learning more and more about children move from speech to print they learn to speak first, and then they begin to read. So it's that continuum of uh, the layers, the language that we're getting at when we're teaching, when we're learning about sound walls, uh, setting up sound walls. It has to do with the 44 speech sounds of the
1: language, not just the 26 letters of the alphabet. So fellow educators may be more familiar with a word wall. What are the main differences between a sound wall and a word wall? so in a
0: with the sound wall we have again the 44 speech sounds and with the word wall we use 26 letters and a word wall is typically organized in alphabetical order uh, starting a through Z so that's that's a limitation when we know that there's 44 speech sounds if I only have 26 letters I'm not truly representing the sounds so when we talk about a sound wall we start, Obviously, we have to talk about consonants and vowels, but I'm going to say the consonants. When I'm thinking about the consonants in our language, we have to think about the place of articulation. And when I talk about the place of articulation, I'm asking my students to think about what's happening with your lips when you make a sound? What's happening with your teeth and your lips? And uh, possibly what's happening with your tongue? Is your tongue between your teeth or is your tongue behind your teeth when you're making a sound? Is your tongue drawn back to the roof of your, lifting up to the roof of your mouth or lifting in the back of your mouth? So those are the things we call the place of articulation. So when I say a sound like the t sound uh, that's that's represented by the letter t and i might find i can find that on a, on a word wall but how about the word the we have ugh. now that's a sound that's not represented on a word wall so that's and that's a word that we know all children are taught to read by sight as we consider it a sight word but it's a word that you have to learn how to decode how to read but it's very difficult for kids if they're thinking, my gosh, my teacher keeps putting that word, the, that I'm supposed to know every time I see T-H-E, I'm supposed to say the, but it's posted on this letter T, and I know T says the sound. So you can imagine that's confusing if I'm thinking about a six-year-old perspective of reading versus an adult perspective of reading. So we've really, we've organized word walls about what makes sense to us as adults, but, and also with our limited understanding of um, alphabetical order A through Z versus a deeper understanding of the phonology of our language, the 44 speech sounds. So we place the sound wall, we build that with from the front of the mouth to the back of the mouth. And that's, that's a completely different Perspective for a teacher, so a teacher really needs to know about the 44 speech sounds of the language. What are they? And it's not it's not just for the speech pathologist to know. The speech pathologist in the buildings, they're a gold mine So make sure I always say say to teachers, make sure to know your speech pathologist well because they can support you as you're trying to put up a sound wall. But just shifting from al- alphabetical order to putting up a sound wall that starts with the sounds in the front of your mouth, the p- and the b sound, the m sound that's made with your lips together, and I move to the middle of my mouth. The T and the d sound, and then finally the back of my throat. The k and the g sound. So that's just it's it's a completely different perspective for teachers. To think about oh my gosh! You want me to put these sounds up that are in an order that I'm not clear about because I've never had an explanation of the language. But I get A through Z order because that's how typically we were all taught when we were in school. And now we're making the shift, and this is based on what we know about the science of reading. We're making the shift because we're understanding kids again approach. Uh, the reading from speech to print. They know the sounds and the more clear, the clearer we are about the sounds of our language, the easier it is to then attach the print.
1: Educators are probably thinking, hey, this sounds like a very good idea. And they are probably starting to think I might wanna retire these word walls, right? Why should educators retire their word walls in favor of a sound wall? you began to answer that. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah.
0: Yeah I'll, yeah. I'll go a little bit deeper on that. The, so again, there's limitations of the 26 letters. Those, those 26 letters, they're insufficient to truly represent the structure of our language, the phonology of our language. And so I'll, I'll give you a, another example. Um, another s- a sound in our language commonly word that you learn to read in first grade is the word she right so the first sound in the word she is the sh sound and um thinking about again the sound it's represented um with your lips uh they're they're curved they're they're almost in a circle your tongue is pulled back a little bit that the um Lifting up towards the top of your mouth as you say the shh sound and um, your airflow is continuous. So describing what that sound feels like, using mirrors to look at your mouth, what does that look like? Noticing um, that my breath continues when I make the shh sound. So now I've given my student a template for thinking about a sound, which they've thought about many times. Again, as teachers, we often just think about the print. We don't think about these sounds. But now I have, as a child, I'm thinking, yeah, I I recognize that shh, but I'm, um, what is, what does that mean for spelling? Well, then I start to explain to them, so this shh sound is spelled with these letters, and they're called a digraph, sh, and that's what I attach to my sound wall. So I have this, um, I, I use pictures, we call them kid lips that Dr. Antonio Fierro and I created together, um, these little pictures of children's mouths so that they can see the picture of what it might look like when you're making that shh sound we ask children and teachers to use mirrors look at your mouth when you're making the shh sound describe what's happening and then um notice here's here's that here's that spelling for that that sound it's the sh it's not just an s and then an h and um but it's actually the sh that represents that sound and and pam i have to tell you interestingly i I was teaching a letters class last week, um, virtually on Zoom, and I had some third grade teachers in, in the class. They were from Horseheads, New York, and they've implemented sound walls in their third grade classrooms, and they shared with me that the third grade students said, thank you for putting up this sound wall. This makes sense because... Think about all the the letters and the strings of letters that we teach children, but we never acknowledge the sounds. But if mm-hmm. kids think about sound first, and then they're they're trying to figure out what's the print to match that sound, but I don't know how to spell. Once we've created the template by putting up a sound wall, now I understand. I do have these forty four sounds. And now I can make sense of what are my what's my choice for spelling the sh sound sh, and at the beginning of a word especially. But I oftentimes once I start teaching, um, especially by third grade, I might notice that ti in the middle of a word like like nation, that ti says that sh sound too. So that would be something I'd want my students to notice. And to draw attention to that that spelling pattern as we're um, making more and more sense of the language, so it's it is really setting up a template to
1: map from speech to print. You know, and it helps students grow grow smarter about the language, right? I like to say we help our students become linguistic geniuses, don't we? Yes, that's right. And this <laughs> is this is that stepping stone to becoming the
0: linguistic genius. And you're right; it's demystifying um, so much of the language because now that I, I and and I, Louisa one day I was having a conversation with her about sound walls and she said Mary really teaching them about the 44 speech sounds the language means that it's it's like teaching the multiplication tables or understanding the chemistry chart now you have this um I, I have this template that everything's been organized in so I can make sense of it. It's not just random bits of information that I'm trying to figure out on my own. We've we've removed that demystification by
1: by putting it out there right away, awesome. even in kindergarten classrooms. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yes. Um, Signs of reading. We've heard that yes. phrase quite a bit le- lately. How do sound walls support the science of reading? And I'm not done yet. Got another question to latch on to that one. Okay. Why is the science of reading even more important based on the current education environment with students returning to the classroom after COVID nineteen? So the science of reading, we've uh, we,
0: we've that term has just become ubiquitous in um, reading instruction well, in in education, especially uh, lots of Facebook posts about the science of reading. I've seen so many new websites around that, but here's my plug for letters as we're talking about the science of reading. Letters was written based on the convergence of evidence over the last 40 years of research. Much of that research, which was funded through the National Institutes of Health. And um, over 40,000 students have been in the research studies. So large scale studies that were longitudinal studies that that have proven um, the best methods for teaching reading, which is explained in all of our letters, classes, and definitely, how Louisa designed the letters um, information so that everyone could easily walk away with this with this information and apply it in practice. But we've really become very clear about what happens in the brain through all the functional MRIs that are available and understanding the the science of reading we know that reading occurs on the left side of our brain we know that um, phonology is in the the frontal lobe and and so I think um, I I teach I have teachers point to uh, just above their the temple on the left side of their head to where that's where sounds activated so we know that with confidence and that's because of the science we know that and then back behind the ear in the occipital lobe that's where we recognize the print and we have we we have these um these synapses these neuronal traces memory traces that are built from the speech to the print that that meet some way somewhere midway above the ear. um another scientific term here the angular gyrus area where where that speech to print is matched up, but, but we have to educate all areas of the brain. So that's, that's part of the science of, of reading is understanding these different pieces that, that need to be taught in order for children become, to become proficient readers. And we, you know, again, I'm going to say we rarely acknowledge the sounds of our language in general education classrooms. We focus, we tend to focus slowly on the print, but we know we have this area in our, in our brain. And, and especially the left side of the brain where reading occurs and that that phonological processor needs to be stimulated It must be activated. And we have lots of, um, we have lots of good phonemic awareness programs that teachers are using pretty um, successfully in their classrooms. Now I'm, I'm hearing that all over, but the idea that um you know, there's one thing, it's one thing to do exercises, like say map, change the mm to l, oh, what do we have, lap. And and that's exercising that phonological processor, but let's talk about the mmm sound. So that's back to sound walls. Let me create an awareness of those articulatory gestures. What's happening with my lips when I make that mmm sound? Hold your nose and try to say the mmm sound. And and Pam, you know, just kind of an interesting thing to think about. If we if we remain virtual in our teaching, um I can do this. I'm describing this to you without seeing each other. We're doing this on a podcast, but... I can imagine um, and I've had many I've had many discussions with teachers about this on a camera, whether it's a Google classroom or it's a Zoom classroom. The teachers can describe this, watch the students and, and say, look, look at my mouth, make your mouth look like my mouth. They can watch the students and then attach the print as as they're ready to attach the print once they understand the sounds. But So I've I've kind of jumped around there from the science of reading, explaining what's happening in the brain. um, Why do we need, um, you know, Even why is this even more important based on COVID-19 and and the loss of classroom instructional time? Well, we want to build those neural networks and we want to build those. The the more rapidly we can build those networks, um, the more rapidly students can begin reading with with the goal to be reading independently. And um, obviously moving into reading comprehension now, I have to think about and understand what I read. But it's uh, it's this beginning reading task that that our children, um, I worry about if they they stopped, you know, in March of kindergarten, March of first grade, even March of second grade. And they weren't proficient readers at at that point. um, The importance of bringing in these underlying um, structures of language as for teachers to understand. If I make this shift, I'm, I'm able to build those neural networks even more rapidly. And I say that, Pam, because of my work that I've done um, with teachers. I, there's a, a group of teachers in Alabama. I have to give a shout out to um, the teachers uh, down there who've really worked hard to implement sound walls in their classrooms. And they learned that. Um, well, when I went to visit, I went to visit them in February, right before everything was shut down. And um, they told me building sound walls in their classrooms and re- reviewing. The 44 speech sounds daily, just Mm -hmm. just pointing sounds and and asking them questions. What sounds do you make with the air coming through your nose? So the kids could say those are our nasal sounds. And Mm -hmm. here they are. Let's hold our nose and say them. But these classroom teachers said we were able to move kids that we thought were going to put in interventions out of interventions. This by by creating this this template, we were we were able to do that. And we have kids that are starting to read that we honestly did not think would even be reading by the end of the year. And we've had this shift by by acknowledging the sounds and moving that forward, um, explaining that, practicing that. But I say that to, to also come back to those teachers having that knowledge, being able to explain that they can move what they were doing in their classrooms to a virtual environment, as long as it's it's the understanding and knowing about our language, this this one layer that that typically hasn't been
1: introduced to us as teachers. It was a long for me. Yeah. Yes. News for me as well. When I first learned about the science of reading and, and what I love Um, in hearing you speak of, Mary, is is that solid foundation that uh, underlying the structure of language for kids. uh, And the idea that what you're doing is you're landing them on solid ground. And and I love the idea of virtual modeling. This can be done virtually through the description, through actually visually talking about uh, what it looks like. Watch my lips. Uh, It's just uh, amazing to see how we We can transition in that virtual world as well. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely possible. It
0: it just takes some thinking and and definitely some explicit instruction
1: on the teacher's end. Awesome. How do educators get started with creating sound walls? Give us some details, maybe step by step so we don't miss any important parts here. So. Starting with a,
0: with a sound wall, first of all, you know, I think, so I, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, a, a regular classroom, a brick and mortar classroom, but I also think, um, if I'm teaching virtually, you know, I have to set up the sound wall. So do I have some space to do this? And, and truly I need a space where I can put the consonant sounds. So we have, uh, our, are 25 consonant sounds that, that need to be arranged by the articulatory features from the front of the mouth to the back of the mouth. And then I also need space for my vowel valley. So I have these 18 vowel sounds that, that we, we put together in a V shape and, um, starting with your lips and a tight smile. So, um, thinking about, you know, I, I'm going to go through from that tight smile, E, all the way to that open doctor sound, ah, and then we're going to go back up to a rounded ooh sound. But there's, there has to be space to do that. And is it, is that space ready available? When I'm teaching, I want to be able to reference these things and, and point to either pictures of, of the mouth cards. What are the, the what are your lips doing when you're making that sound, your teeth, your tongue, or, um, I have, for example, those third-grade teachers. They use their phoneme grapheme or their sound spelling cards from the reading program that they have in their building, and they arrange their vowel valley by those by by that those articulatory gestures. So spacing is important. Two, do I have, do I have sound cards or or something to represent all the sounds of the language? Um, do you will you want to label the categories? So we have for the consonant charts, we have what we call stop sounds for the breath stops. It's one push of air, nasal sounds, which I describe, the sounds coming through your nose. We have th- we have a, a category of of sounds called fricatives where there's friction in the airflow. And again, that's that shh sound. There's friction as as you're um, producing that sound continuously. So one category of speech sounds is known as affricates. And an affricate is a speech sound that has friction, but it stops. It doesn't have a continuous airflow. So the pair of affricates are the ch sound as in chocolate and the j sound as in jump. We have liquids and we have glides. So those are those are all labels that that teachers need to learn about. But and we can easily teach kids those labels because they make sense to them when I'm talking. I'm thinking about what am I doing when I'm making that sound with my airflow so that um, that manner of articulation, how we're articulating those sounds and then also once I start teaching the sounds what print what do I have to represent the print or the what we call the orthography of our language um am I going to place uh uh all the print on the wall right away do I have key words to match with my sounds? so if I if I need to unlock a sound I haven't learned how to spell with what the sound like Mm, I use a vowel sound that's that's not typically taught in kindergarten. How about the uh sound, as in book? Mm-hmm. So I might have the uh sound. My lips are very rounded. They're 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 pursed pretty tightly together for the uh sound, and um or we can say uh. But I have a picture of a book to remind my students that that's what sound that 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 mouth cards representing, but I wouldn't put the oo spelling on a sound wall and um, until probably first grade when I introduced that sound. So do I have something to represent the sounds like the keywords, mouth cards, and then I have to think about what is my my reading program? When do we introduce the spellings that go with those sounds? So teachers teachers get confused by sounds and spellings, but I, I really want them to think about the sounds. I'm going to teach my students the sounds. Well, they already know the sounds, but I'm going to help them Find those sounds organize those sounds by setting up the consonants and the vowel charts and then we're going to start adding the print so now we're learning to to read with long a the a sound and now guess what we're going to learn about cake and bake and i've got those a consonant e's and i have words like grape and cape so once i've learned a consonant e spells that long a sound i know a and i can look at that a and notice oh yeah a consonant e is one of my spelling sounds one of my spelling patterns oh then we have ai and ay those are usually taught together in first grade so i want to make sure my teachers have um that print to represent those sounds and how are they going to and they have to think about in their core reading program when am i going to begin introducing the print that goes with those sounds um so having all those resources in place thinking about when they're going to place, uh, put up the the print to go with the sounds, and then the introduction of sounds is really important. Introducing things um, pretty rapidly. I usually say in kindergarten and first grade, you introduce all the sounds, but then having daily review. So that's the the other thing is having an established routine, um, instructional routine for the sound wall, which which should be, you know, anywhere between five to 10 minutes a day. So that's that's the other thing I think teachers get hung up on is thinking, oh, uh, this is going to eat up so much of my time. But it's it's really Um, having a good routine to say we're going to review the consonant sounds and we're going to review the vowel sounds and then I might ask my students questions such as um Someone tell me what sound, what nasal sound is made with your tongue behind your teeth, the tip of your tongue behind your teeth. That's the n- sound. Another example might be in my instructional routine. I have um, these two sounds, they're fricatives. One is the s- sound when my voice is turned off, that's s- as in sun. What happens when you make that sound, but you turn your voice on? And hopefully my kids respond with zzz. It's the zz sound as in zebra. So the zzz and the zzz sound are made in the same place. But that's a, those are daily review, daily routine questions that you want to ask. It's not just putting up a sound wall, but, but now I've got to practice with it.
1: Right, right. That ongoing cumulative practice. And again, that's going back to speech to print exactly oh, that's, that seems to be a theme here man yeah. <laughs> there's, there's one of the, so the other thing
0: that you'll you'll notice um that i i always tell teachers is this is an I do and a we do um Mm -hmm. that's and that's one of the things I've had lots of people ask you know how do I can you send me pictures virtually um I need to send them home with my students and I it's it's not really a you do as much as the I do we do it's a you do once you've learned that sound and I can use that as a reference tool Mm -hmm. but I but it's it's it really requires the the teaching and the practice with the students. So I think that
1: that's an important piece to keep in mind, too. Right. Awesome. You've, you've given us a lot of information. Are there any other tips, something you may have forgotten? I doubt if you have right? <laughs> <laughs> that educated educators need to know to create an effective sound wall. Here's another tip that I, I haven't
0: said, Um don't be afraid to start. I I feel like teachers think, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure about the 44 speech sounds. I see, I've seen pictures of sound walls and yes, I will give you a resource of where people can go and look at, at sound walls, but don't be afraid to start, jump in, learn along with your students because it is a little bit intimidating. It's not something that, um, that we've typically been taught or thought about. So, um, don't be afraid because it's, it does become, it It makes a lot of sense once you begin
1: to to work with sound walls. Awesome. So I know when you think about sound walls, that's a shift from um, word walls. And we talked about that in great detail here. Um, Are there any other challenges or shifts when we think about reading pedagogy as a whole that an educator might have to face while creating a sound wall? What if they're the only one in the building doing the sound wall thing? What are some challenges in pedagogy? Yeah, um, the shift,
0: I think, is really moving towards that more explicit systematic instruction that we talk about in the science of reading. And um, that hasn't always been supported in education and um, and by all of our administrators and buildings. So I think that that's uh going to be that that might be a challenge that teachers think and uh, face and they'll really have to understand why they want to make this shift of explaining the layers of language and helping students to make sense of the language in a more in a more systematic and explicit way so I think that that's that's going to be one of the, the it might be a shift I'm seeing it happen more and more in all across the United States, but not everywhere.
1: Teachers are probably wondering what resources um, are out there. You mentioned a few things. Um, What would you recommend to educators to learn more well, yeah so well first of all I would say um
0: take take letters to a letters training um because language essentials for teachers of reading and spelling a professional development designed by Dr. Louisa Motes and Dr. Carol Tolman is uh is really where I began to understand the speech sounds of the language as I said I I began to study with Louisa in 98, but um, teaching letters for the last 16 years, understanding that when we teach letters, we we have this the vowel and consonant charts and those are the sound walls so we teach that in letters we begin to teach that understanding of this layer of language the phonetics of language is is what it truly is so that's one resource the other reason another resource i would say is louisa's just released um the latest edition of speech to print her book imagine that pam its name Speech <laughs> to print <laughs> love it <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? And yes. um, Luisa explains this information in speech to print. And then, as I said, my colleague Antonio Fierro and I have created uh, materials called KidLips. and we have a manual that we've written to uh, explain the speech sounds and really how to how to begin posting a sound wall,
1: so teachers can can look to those resources to support that in their classrooms. Excellent. Well, we're getting to the end of our podcast. It happens so very, very quickly. Um, Tell us what's next for you, Dr. Dahlgren. Uh, What's your next educational project? Well, right now I'm... I'm actually working
0: with uh, Dr. Piero on creating some more diversified pictures for our KidLips manual and our KidLips picture card. That's been there's been a huge request for that, so we're updating those things, and um, we're we're really updating more of an instructional manual, our instructional manual to include not just how to set up a sound wall, but what are some of the the daily routines. So I I feel like that that's the need and uh, the request for for understanding how to do this is is great and Pam we're learning along with teachers too we we're just you know a step ahead and in, in explaining these things and and really understanding oh my goodness it'd be so helpful to have some of these daily routines um, fun questions written out and different activities that they can do with their kids yeah. to, to help them understand you know this is this is tier one instruction this is not just for tier two or tier three get it in tier one so that. That we reduce tier two and tier three instructions. So that's that's really um, I'm continuing to do this work and refine it. All right definitely.
1: Finally, now, one more question. All right. If you, could, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything in the world of education, what would you change and why? Oh, if I could change anything, I'd I'd wave the
0: wand and I would uh, magically have all of our college professors uh, trained in in the phonology of language and all the structures of language, uh, so they could turn around and provide that to pre-service teachers. I'd also say. That magic wand would include uh, districts understanding that quality professional development is an investment. It's not just a cost to consider uh, every year and how do we manipulate our budget? Do we actually leave that in there? Because it's, it's just you can't just learn this on your own. You need, you need good quality professional development to learn this.
1: I love your magic wand wish investment in future and current educators. I just love that idea. Uh, It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and how they can follow you on social media. Uh, well, Pam, I just I want to say thank you for inviting me to speak to you about
0: this. I was I was nervous about describing a sound wall um, just through a podcast, but I hope it's it's been helpful for teachers and for for people who want to to get more information. They can go to tools T O O L S the number four reading. Dot .com so toolsforreading.com and uh they can follow we I have a Facebook page a tools for reading Facebook page also the the same handle for Twitter so t o o l s the number for reading so that's a, a a place that they can find lots of materials pictures and and get ideas and see some videos and our uh, the blog posts that I i did for voyager is also posted there on my web page so people can access and see that that has some pictures
1: in it or i know on the the voyager website all right thank you dr dahlgren this is pam austin bringing the best thought leaders in education directly to you this has been an edview 360 podcast produced by voyager sopris learning for additional thought-provoking discussions Sign up for our blog, webinar, and podcast series at VoyagersSopris.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and to help other people like you find our show. Thank you.